Happy one year, everybody. Um, wow, this is, I'm, way, I'm like more nervous today than I was the first Sunday, I think. Really, really, really nervous about today. I don't even know why. Probably because I haven't taught in two weeks and I think I forgot how. Um, <clears throat> well, um, congratulations, everyone here that's been a part over the last year of, um, if you've been a part, prayed, given generously, if you've like stacked a chair or greeted at the door or poured a cup of coffee or like taught one of the kids in the kids' ministry or tried to quiet and calm a crying baby or whatever you've done here, you're a part of this as well. So I want to say congratulations to you as well. This is like such a wonderful and awesome thing that God is doing. And I kind of knew we'd make it to one year. Um, I had my doubts certain weeks, but I kind of knew we'd make it to one year, but I didn't think we'd really make it to one year uh, like this. A year ago when we started this church, it was a full house kind of like it is today. But a lot of those were family and friends who came from Carpinteria and L.A. and Stockton. And um, a lot of, there were some looky-loos as well. And they, they, they were just all here. And the second Sunday, we thought, okay, this is going to be an empty hall, almost as cold as it is right now. I don't know why it's so freezing in here. And, um, and it's going to be an empty hall, and then everyone's going to leave, and then we're going to, you know, we'll get to the first year, but it's going to be, we were even thinking about how to make this hall smaller, like I was thinking about putting up fake walls in here, like how do I make fake walls to make this place look, uh, look bigger or something, or hang curtains everywhere, and God has exceeded our expectations, we have been so floored about what Jesus has done in the city, and, um, and when we started this church uh, a year ago, we started by praying like this, this is how we prayed. We prayed that this church would be a place where God is present, and we sense his presence. When we gather, we would sense that God is among us. Like, you would walk in here, and we pray this every single Sunday um, before church, that the presence of God would fill this hall, transform this hall into a sanctuary, and that's what we prayed. We also prayed that the presence, presence of God would make our gatherings a mixture of fear and excitement. Like, when you meet Jesus, there's something super scary about that. Like, he has control of everything. But this also this excitement, this joy that, that builds up as we gather together and worship him. <clears throat> we also prayed that our community would make much of Jesus and make little of ourselves. We didn't want to make a name for ourselves. We didn't want to make a name for reality or any of the people that worked or volunteered here. We wanted to make much of Jesus. And that's what we've tried to do every single time we've gathered in small groups <clears throat> or large groups. We've tried to make much of Christ. And that we've also prayed that God would redeem lives through this church and that he would restore this city. And those are things that we've prayed and we've seen God begin to answer these prayers. This last year we've seen people being um, delivered from the domain of darkness, transferred in the kingdom of the beloved son. We've seen people baptized. We've seen people just renewed in their faith, living here in San Francisco for years and years and years and having gone to church a couple times in high school and then Christ becoming real to them. We've seen all of these awesome things, and the very first sentence that we said here at the very first service, and it's still true today, is this, that the ongoing effectiveness and health of this church is accomplished first through prayer. And that's how we move forward. We move forward on our knees. We move forward dependent upon Jesus, the, the, the chief shepherd of this church. And so we have a vision and prayer night on Wednesday, as Tarek mentioned, on Wednesday, January 19th, right here at 7 o'clock. So I would like to pray once again, and I want to thank God for what he's done and what he will continue to do 
um, through this church. And as I pray, would you turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm so humbled right now, and I thank you, God, for all that you've done in, in and through this church, God, your church. And we give you all glory and all honor and all praise. And we say together that this is your church, and we want you to be the center of this church. We want you to be the beginning and the end of this church. We want you to be everything that we desire in this church, God. And we once again pray, God, that this church will be a place where when we gather, you are present. And then when, as you're present, it would be this mixture of excitement and fear. We also pray that you would restore this city through gospel work. Through our hands, Lord, through our prayers, we pray, God, that you would save and redeem lives through this church, and we pray that as a community, Lord, more than anything else, that we would make much of Jesus Christ, that we would look to you and worship you and praise you, God, and that together, Lord, you'd give us a singular heart and vision to see San Francisco redeemed. I pray This morning, I'm just so desperate for you to speak to us today. I confess, Lord, I'm just uh, a bit overwhelmed. Uh, I pray, God, that you would um, that you would speak, that you would anoint me, that you would use me this this morning, God, and that you would get all of our hearts and all of our minds on Jesus. And so, I pray that as as we pray often here, God, that the band and um, myself and everyone else would disappear, and that you would be preeminent. And you would be what people see. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, last year, um, this time last year, we started reality with a sermon, as Tarek mentioned, called The Beginning. And it was the beginning of the church, and it was the beginning of the book of Mark, as we started the book of Mark. And it was, and the beginning, the opening words to the book of Mark were this. Mark 1.1 says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So I guess it was a bit poetic that we started with a sermon called The Beginning. It was the beginning of all of these things. And today, a year later, I want to, uh, I want to go to the beginning of the beginning of the gospel. Now, kind of a prequel. I know prequels don't go over that well in this town, but uh, we'll try today, okay? I want to go to the beginning of the beginning of the gospel. And there find the, the impetus for embodying the gospel in a city like San Francisco. Why? Are we here? Why are we trying to embody the gospel in a place like this? How do we move forward as a church to live out the gospel, to embody the gospel of Jesus in a complex city like San Francisco? Uh, A couple months ago, um, the Barna Research Group named San Francisco the most unchurched and unchristian city in the nation. And when we began to to research uh, this city, ourselves over three years ago now, and we started to talk to church and faith leaders about San Francisco, and we started to walk around this city and pray and read the city's history, we discovered that San Francisco was a very different kind of city. 
And what we started hearing as I told people that we were praying about starting a church in San Francisco was, San Francisco is where churches go to die. It's like, thank you for the encouragement. <laughs> that means a lot. But this, this is what a lot of people said when I was like, I, 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 we're praying about going to San Francisco to start a church. And they would go, oh, San Francisco. And then after we talk a little bit later, they go, you know, San Francisco is really a place where churches go to die and church plants go to die. People have started, uh, started sharing with me statistics, people that knew statistics and stories of multiple church plants by major denominations and major churches with millions of dollars put into them to help establish these churches in the city. Out of all of these churches, only a handful of them have really taken root in the city over the last 30 years. And one major church planning movement's pastor once said about San Francisco that he washes his hands of San Francisco. When, um, when Katie, our, uh, our, our gal who oversees our kids' ministry, was moving here, she put a post on Craigslist, and she just said, hey, I'm moving to the city, God's called me, I'm looking for Christian roommates. And some uh, quote-unquote pastor emailed her and said, lady, get ready for the test of your faith and everything else you believe in. It's really a modern-day Sodom and across the bay is Gomorrah. <laughs> East Bay, represent. Okay. So she responded back to him, and she's pretty feisty, so if you know her, you know. She goes, it becomes clear why I'm moving to that city every time someone says that. And then he wrote back. He said, please don't think you're going to make a difference there. It's a place beyond redemption. The government sanctions sin there. Pray from afar and don't look back. Well, she's here now, and she's our kids' ministry coordinator. So last week, uh, a local pastor in the city emailed me. He was researching um, uh, spiritual history of San Francisco and things that people have said and pastors and stuff like that in, in the city. And he came across this quote and he emailed it to me and I want to share it with you. It says this quote, we are responsible for the societies we choose to live in. Believers should, believers should do their best to avoid such transgressing communities as San Francisco. Exempted are the weak who cannot find a way out. God warns us in clear words from living among the transgressors knowingly. A believer should abandon such a transgressing community for when transgression becomes the dominant culture, know that God's retribution is at hand, end quote. Now, I want you to, I don't know if you noticed something there, a, a, a trend there. This is normally the story of Christianity, normally. The world is filled with sin, and depravity, and it's gross, and it's going to hell, and you're going to hell, and what you need to do as believers is, or people, is to believe in Jesus and escape all of it. So believe in Jesus, move out of San Francisco, live a safe and quiet life in the mountains, and wait until Jesus comes and gets you. That's normally the narrative of Christianity. That's typically the story that a lot of Christians embody, and it's a story that a lot of people project upon Christians. Why do you, and when people, like you're Christians and you live in San Francisco, why would you live here? People project that on Christians, and it's a story that a lot of Christians embody. Now the problem, one of the major problems with that sort of worldview is that it's not biblical. It's not entirely biblical because it's not the whole story. The story of God is a lot bigger than I think a lot of us grow up hearing about. Whether you grew up in church or outside the church, the story of God is bigger than that. And it's imperative 
as we, re- that we recapture the bigger story of God, especially of those of us who live in the Bay Area or in San Francisco specifically, that we recapture the bigger story of God and live in this story here in the city. It will determine how we communicate the Christian faith to a wider society of San Francisco and beyond about who God is, who we are in light of who God is, and what we think about the world and where it's going. We must capture a bigger picture of what God is doing and what he has done. Now, the Bible is, fair, is very clear that this world is depraved, and it's very clear that humanity is separated from God, but it didn't start that way. The story doesn't begin there. God's story begins in Genesis 1, not Genesis 3. And you and I have to understand that. We have to embrace that, and we have to tell that story here, and we have to live that story here. That's why this is so important. Genesis 1 begins with God's perfect creative design. And our story as humanity begins in a garden, and God placing us in there as gardeners. Some of you guys really like that, okay? We're in the garden as gardeners. Everything was perfect there. There was justice. There was unbroken relationships. There was unimpaired beauty. There was green peace. There was perfect spirituality. Humanity literally walked with God. And that's where it starts. Now, now, we all know where it goes, but we have to understand that's where it starts. That's where humanity started. Everything was perfect in God's creative design and creative order, and there was justice, and there was peace, and there was unbroken relationship between God and man. There was unbroken relationship between man and woman, and there was unbroken relationship between man and the earth. And everything was harmonious just the way that God designed it. That's where it starts. But that's not where it goes. Our first parents are tempted to pursue their own interests, corruption and conflict enter into our world, and then there's broken relationship. Genesis chapter three. And there's broken relationship between humanity and God. And there's broken relationship between humanity and the earth. And there's broken relationship between humanity and itself. And death enters the world, into our world, and our world starts to unravel. Now it's very important to start God's story where God starts his story. And this is why it's important. And this is why I think that we need to, going into our future as a church and going into our future as people who live in San Francisco that follow Jesus in San Francisco or in the Bay Area, being the most unchurched, unchristian city in the nation, moving forward and how we live here sustainably over a long time, Lord willing, raising families in this city, the way that we do it, we have to embody a bigger story. We have to first understand this is where God's story begins, and this is why this is important. Because we all want justice. The longer that you probably live in San Francisco, the more that you care about justice. There's more nonprofits in the Bay Area and more social action done here than virtually any other place. We want justice. Though we're perverted and we will fight about how to get justice, we all want justice. We all want relational wholeness. All of us want to live, whether we lost somebody to to, to death physically or we've lost them emotionally, we all want relational wholeness, all of us. And we all hunger for beauty. We all hunger for peace. We all hunger for spirituality. And this is basically universal. Now, 
ask yourself this question, why is this basically universal? It's because this is where it all started. This is all of it. This is where we all started. N.T. Wright, a prolific writer, scholar, says this. He calls this phenomenon echoes of a voice. He says the reason why we all have this echo of, of this voice, it's like this voice we've all heard, and we want all of us, we all want to get back to this. We all want justice and peace. We, we want to live, we, even when we're kids. We're kids, and, and, and you see, I mean, you go to our nursery and stuff, you, you don't have to teach kids justice. They start saying things like, that's not fair right away. That's not fair. Well, who taught you fairness? I just know that that's my toy, and you stole it, and it's mine, and it's not fair that you took it. We all have this sense of, we want justice. Where did that come from? And Nancy Wright says, all this echo, it's like we heard this whisper and we want to get back to it. Where did it all come from? And how do we get back? And this is how we get back. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, right after the fall, God promises that one day a rescuer would come and restore our relationship with God. God promised that I will restore all things. He will restore our relationship with God. He would bring reconciliation where there was once hostility. Scholars call this promise of, the, uh, of a redeemer in Genesis chapter three, the proto-evangelium, or the beginning of the gospel. This is the beginning of the beginning. And this is what Mark writes. When Mark starts in Mark chapter one, the beginning of the gospel, he's echoing what happened at the very beginning in Genesis chapter one. The gospel began in Genesis. The gospel began with God promising, I will redeem and I will restore things back. And this is the gospel's beginning. And what does the gospel's beginning look like? In Genesis chapter three, a promise of renewal, of restoration, of reconciliation, and a promise of redemption. So the world started in perfect harmony and peace. It went really, really bad. Sin entered the world, death, decay, destruction. It started unraveling, and God promised, I will send a redeemer to restore all things back. I will send a redeemer. The Apostle Paul, in the book of Colossians, ties the creating Lord to the redeeming Lord. He says Jesus is the creating Lord, and he's also the one who redeems. And you see this interplay. You see both sides. He uses the same language when he says God created and then God redeemed. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, where I had you turn, open your Bibles to. It says, he, Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness, this place, this, this prison of darkness, and he has transferred us. We have this new zip code now. We have this new location. He's brought us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have, see that word, Redemption. We now have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. <clears throat> then he goes on, and this is where he connects the creating God to the redeeming God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. He's the creator. He's vi visible and invisible things he created, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. He made everything. He created all things, and all things were created through him and for him. Jesus created all things, and they were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's before them, and he holds them all together. He's the glue. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, 
the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, you know, Paul says, I write all of this, in all of these things, that he might be preeminent. Now look at this next sentence. For in him, all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, okay, and through him, remember, he was, all the world was created through him, now he uses that same language, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Paul writes, the creating God is the redeeming God, and everything was made by him, for him, through him, and Jesus is now doing, recreating the world and redeeming all of it back to himself. See, this, this passage in Colossians is our two bookends to God's story. Two ways that we really need to, to see God's story in order to really embody the gospel in San Francisco. There are two bookends, creation and redemption. Creation, all things were created by and for Jesus. And redemption. And Jesus is the redeemer of all things. And he is reconciling all things to himself. He is redeeming all things, reconciling, pulling them all back into himself. I mean, did you see that? This is the, the, the process. This is Jesus in the process of redeeming and renewing and restoring everything. And also thrown in there, because Paul is such a brilliant writer, is the apex and the climax of God's story. So the bookends are creation and redemption. What's the apex and the climax? Jesus making peace on the cross. That's the, the apex of God's story. That Jesus is making peace with us and ultimately with the world by his blood on the cross. Now, why do I, I share all of this today? Why am I on our, on our like one year anniversary bringing this back to this uh, kind of meta-narrative, this bigger story? And the reason why is this is the story that we have to live into. The only way that I can make sense of living in San Francisco for the rest of my life, and Lord willing, if the Lord would grant us children, raise a family here, is to live into this story. You and I, if you follow Jesus, you have to live into the story. And this is why I say that. If you don't, if you don't live into the story, you will either escape or you will blend in. You will escape or you will blend in. You will escape. First of all, you'll just go, you know what? San Francisco is way too dark. It's, I can't find a parking spot. And there's just too many weird things. I mean, I love when people first come to San Francisco and they walk on the streets and they're like, why are people, it's freezing cold and they're not wearing clothes. <laughs> like, why is that? And why do they just walk by a cop? Why, why doesn't the cop do something? And do I smell marijuana? What is going on in this city? And they don't, they can't reconcile, they don't, it doesn't make sense to them and for them, and they're like, you know what, I can't, I can't live here. I can't, I have to escape, and I have to smell, you know, mountains and, and the fresh sea air and not the city. And I have to escape, I have to get out of here. It's too dark, it's too depraved, it's, it's just too dense, too many people, I can't do it, and they escape. Or what happens is they blend in you start to romanticize San Francisco. It becomes the most creative, fun, exciting, invigorating place to live ever, and it ruins you for any other place to live. You probably know what I'm talking about, most of you in here. 
There's something about the streets and the culture and the people and the art and the creativity and the potential in this city that you love this city and all of a sudden, before you know it, you've lost all Christian witness and you've just blended right in and you're just like everybody else. Those are the only two ways there is to go unless you embody this story. Because unless you embody this story, those are the only two ways to go because the only two ways that make sense. Because you don't want to see the dark side of San Francisco. You don't want to see that it's depraved and nasty and all other stuff because, you know, you're like, I, I just want to be accepted and brought in and, 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 you know, I want to be part of this city. So I can't judge and so I'm going to go in and then everyone is cool. I'm cool with everyone and I love everything, all things. When you escape, you can't, you can't see that San Francisco is beautiful because your theology doesn't allow it. You're like, well, it can't be beautiful because the person who made that art is gross. And you wish to see what they do on the weekends. That art can't be beautiful because they're not beautiful. And you can't reconcile both of them. This is why you need a bigger story. Why is San Francisco a mix of beauty and depravity? Because humanity is a mix of beauty and depravity. We were all created at the beginning to be creative. We were all created at the beginning to want beauty and want justice and want a relationship with God. You know, in that same Barna Institute story or that survey, it said that San Francisco, though it was the most unchurched, unchristian city in the nation, it's the least skeptical city in the nation. This city just wants authenticity. You have to embody this story to reconcile both of these things. People are this mixture of both depravity and a potential for beauty. And so when you embody the story, when people want justice and they don't serve or follow or believe in Jesus, you, you don't go, wait, you can't want justice because only God wants justice. You can't want, you're, you're perverted, you can't want justice. I can't, I, can't, I can't ascribe to anything you're saying. You see, you can live here and, peop, and work with people that want justice, peace, righteousness, that are spiritually hungry. Why? Because we understand Genesis chapter 1. But we also can also go into the city going, but we also want to be people who are part of God's restoration process. Why? Because people are, Genesis chapter 3, fallen. And we all need to be restored to God. All of us need Jesus. Every single one of us. The believer and the unbeliever. We all need Jesus. All of us. When we first moved into this um, location, we weren't planning to be around Upper Market Castro area when we started the church, and this neighborhood has been so good to us. So thankful for this neighborhood in San Francisco. And we didn't plan on it. We weren't like, oh, let's go to the Castro. <laughs> we weren't thinking that at all. And when this hall opened up and we found this place, and we came in and met with the house manager, and he's like, okay, you're a church. I need, to, I need to know what you believe about, um, about the gay agenda. And what do you believe about, about um, you're in a, in a gay district? And so what do you say? And I say, I believe that every single person that walks through our door needs Jesus. And we will say that, and we will embody that, and we will preach that. And the gospel is, Christ has come down into our world to redeem us and saves, save us. And he wants all of us. He wants to redeem all of us, and we all need to follow Jesus. We all need Jesus. He's like, okay, that's a good answer. Uh, you, can, you can go with that. <laughs> he was not, not a believer. 
we must embody the story unless unless we try to escape it, unless you live here for two years, like, I gotta get out of here. Or you live here for 15 and you just, you've lost all Christian witness. You have to embody that God is number one, a God who created everything as good, it's gone really bad. The apex and the climax of the story is he's died to redeem us, and then here's the deal. And this is what Colossians says, that he's redeeming all things to himself. Followers of Jesus need to be a part of God's restoration project in this city. We want to live here and embody here to restore this city. To be a part of bringing justice and peace and reconciliation with God to San Francisco. Not compromising the witness and the integrity of the gospel, but not escaping it, not escaping the city as well. How will we do all of this? The only way that we can do this is being captivated by the gospel of Jesus. That's the only way any of us can do this, by being captivated by what Christ has done. Do you think anyone in this room deserves the grace and the love of God? Not a one of us. He's come down and freely given us all things in Jesus. And so what? we need to embody and and live is the the gospel has to recaptivate our heart and our mind. That we live here by grace. That we aren't better, we're saved. Christ has redeemed us. And we need to embody that story in this city. And Christ would be the most beautiful and wonderful and the anchor of our souls here as we live our days out in this city in this area for the glory and the gospel of Jesus. I think it's a little too soon to say that this church is successful or not. It's been a year. God has done success, brought us great success and favor and all these wonderful things, but we want to be a church that's here if the Lord tarries for generations. And it's going to take us embodying the gospel, living here for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for what you've done um, over the last year. And I pray even still, God, that you would continue to root our hearts in the gospel of Jesus. That you would root our hearts in you and then you would root our feet in the city. And in the Bay Area, Lord, I know that some of us are, some of us are called to the East Bay and, and, and South Bay and North Bay and in the city. But we pray that the peace of this city, the shalom of God in San Francisco... And I thank you, Lord, for the other churches in this city that that are proclaiming Jesus. And we pray that you would bless the church, your church in San Francisco, God. And that you would do all of these wonderful things. I pray, God, that your people would not use the city for their own portfolios or their own resumes or relationships. But I pray that we would pour out our lives as you have poured out your life for us, God. I thank you, I pray uh, blessings over uh, this next year, Lord. And together, Lord, in our hearts right now, we say that you take your rightful place in our hearts and in this church. Jesus, be the center of everything we do. We pray, God, that you would bring in people who are hungry to know God. And we ask Jesus that you would use us, Lord, to bring about the peace and the renewal 
and the restoration of this city, God. We thank you for the privilege of getting able to live here, being able to live here. There's no other place, Lord. I know there's no other place I would want to live out following you than in here. We just thank you and we love you. And we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen.